What's going on, guys? Welcome to yet another episode of Two and a Half Bingos, a.k.a. Pittsburgh Baseball Now's very own podcast. Happy to be here today, and I'm really excited for these questions because we have a mailbag episode, and uh, it took a little while for you guys to uh, warm up to the idea, but you flood, you came flooding in with the questions thanks to Nola's quote tweet and my retweet of his quote tweet, um, and we have a pretty good set list of questions here, but before we get into all of that, let me introduce my co-hosts, uh, not beside me, but I'd like to think so, is Big Bear Anthony Murphy and... Nola Jeffy, what's going on, fellas? What is hanging going out? On? Hanging yeah. out, hanging out. I dig it. I dig hanging it. Out. Just yeah. laying down after a long day's work, reminiscing about tweetception yesterday. <laughs> How are those shelves going, by the way? They're up, <laughs> barely. <laughs> <laughs> Got some and, bubble gum and some. And, yeah, Annabelle had to. Had to, uh, you know, finesse them as I don't think I was doing a good enough job. Okay. So, yeah, you got to have the, I'll go back, I'll go, I'll go back to help, helping or not helping, but, uh, fixing up my unlevel shed that I built. <laughs> All right. So what you're saying is OSHA will not pass your shed. <laughs> I will not let OSHA onto my property. <laughs> All right, I'll be sure to make an anonymous phone call here in the next hour or two. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. But um, guys, you, you feel ready for these questions? I feel like we have a good set list and you feel prepared because for the first time in a while, I've prepared and actually have notes ready. So I know that's crazy to hear from me. So that's I'm probably the first time I made some notes. Yeah, you sent the notes in the group chat. I was like, that's pretty goddamn detailed. So yeah, and then you I, didn't read them. Empty page. Empty page. Oh, Murph got the empty page. No notes. It's all up in the head. Mm. It's all all up in here. Mm. Vast vast knowledge of nothingness. (laughs) Okay, so we decided, guys, uh, prior to recording that we're going to lead off with the Bubba question, and that is brought to you by Bridge to Bucktober podcast. And the guys asked, will this be the last year Bubba Chandler is a hitter? And do you think this slows down pitching development by splitting time with defense and hitting? And Nola, I know you said you were pretty Bubba heavy in your notes. So I'll let you lead. Um, and then me and Murph will follow with comments. Well, um, I guess uh, my, my heavy Bubba notes are more leading to a future question, but um the way I see it, and I think they already – this may have already been relayed to Bubba, and I think, you know, there already began his development with the understanding that it's like, we'll let you keep hitting as long as it doesn't get in the way of other development. Yeah. And I think so far they've been doing well with it. I mean, the hitting's – personally – I still remember one of the first videos I saw of him taking cuts at the plate. Wasn't and my first thought was, I don't think he's going to be lasting there long. It was not a very pretty swing. Yeah. It looked a little better, but I still don't know how well it's going to progress. And if he's at the point where he's absolutely dominating on the mound, but then just atrocious at the plate, I feel like they will – kind of acts it to like maybe fewer times a week 
once a week. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've already seen that, like, his uh, draft year, because he was playing shortstop a couple times. I think he played, like, two or three times. I think the rest was deep. Yeah, and, and I don't think he played in the field a single time last year. So, I think even there already, it's like, all right, you know, fielding is – that's just another thing you have to worry about in a week's regiment. So, yeah, I think we'll see. It, it's just it's going to largely be dependent on how wide the gap becomes between hitting and pitching. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, and I, I put in my little notes here that not everyone can be Shohei Otani, and that's okay. You don't have to be that. That's a generational talent. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. you, can't, you can't compare one player to a generational talent because then he's just going to suck compared to that guy. And me personally, I like Bubba the pitcher more than I do Bubba the DH. I think Bubba can be more effective on the mound. And Murph, I know you've paid more attention to Bubba on the mound and you've done breakdowns and things of that sort. What have you seen from Bubba in terms of his arsenal? and his approach on the mound. So I think Bubba may have the best fastball in, in the system right now, you know, upper 90s. There's a lot of movement on it. He's still working on the control and command and stuff like that. But, I mean, he's 19, can't really expect anything else other than that. The, the, the secondary stuff, they're definitely more on the raw side. Yeah. But you can see the potential with that. So you can see, and as the season kind of went on, you could kind of see him getting a little bit tired, but you saw a little bit of progress too with those breaking pitches, with the, he started throwing the change up a little bit more on that. So he made a lot of progress um, on the mound. He made a little bit of progress hitting as well. Still looked a little overpowered more than you would want to see from someone like that. But again, he's 19. He's, this is his first time focusing on baseball and just baseball you would expect there to be growing pains, but um, <clears throat> I don't think we'll see him in the field anymore at that point. So I don't think we'll ever have to worry about the defense that once you put him out there in shortstop and making throws and stuff like that, then that just kind of throws off the, his whole throwing routine and stuff like that. And I don't think that's that pirates aren't going to allow that to happen. Um, I think the DH thing will kind of, it'll just kind of solve itself at some point. And Nola kind of, you know, talked about it briefly it just it's it, I feel like it would just end up start slowly and towards the end of the season with Bradenton like he would have the day after that he pitched and the day before that he pitched off from hitting and then those other games he would he would go to, um, be the DH I think like this year coming up you'll kind of know when that's coming that they may be getting ready to pull the plug because it'll start going down it'll be like three or four times a week down to th- you know until finally he just stop DHing, and then that's just kind of your clue that, okay, well, now the focus is completely on the mound. Now, yeah, and I was just – I was also just kind of thinking – We're thinking? Mm. I, you can probably make a case for him to – I mean, they've been they've been so aggressive with so many of their other guys who are yeah. not as highly touted as as he is. I mean, if you if we saw Hudson Head get pushed up to, to Greensboro – Escato get pushed up to Greensboro. I don't see why they don't push. push. I mean, and part of that too, part of the reason they you can make a case that they went so heavy with the college pitching is like you have a lot of support there to kind of ease them into it as well. 
if you really want to manage his innings early on to to ramp him up. Um, but I don't it, – it would be – as much as I think he, it wouldn't hurt him to start in Brandon, I think it would be more of a surprise if, if he – didn't just get the jump straight to Greensboro at this point. I was thinking. I was like, I mean, even even uh, Jared Jones had like a mid four ERA in his year in Bradenton. So yeah, yeah, and he's still. Was, if, if if they're high on high on a kid, they 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 have no problem just sending yeah. him to the next level. Let them work on it, and and it, you know, there's there's a reason they put, they gave him such a big bonus, and I think that would be it. So yeah. No, yeah, I, I I see where you're coming from. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Nola. Go ahead, man. What were you gonna say? No, the one other minor thing I was gonna say too is that um, when it comes to the fielding, I also think that there is a slight potential that he could return, and it's more a matter of. I mean, we gotta remember he is only 20 years old, so he's still pretty raw and not fully you know, physically developed. And as he becomes more mature, more physically capable, they probably could begin giving him some innings to where the arm is uh, better developed to recover from something like that. Whereas as young as he is, you know, you want that arm to have its full capability every time he pitches, as opposed to maybe getting some extra stress from throws. So, yeah. I wouldn't say it's completely out of question yet either. Okay. All right. Um, and, you know, that kind of transitions into the next question that we have, and that's from Yark. He, he actually has a two-part two question. The first part that we're going to get into uh, deals with uh, the Pirates' most recent international signing, Shim, uh, out of Asia. Um, can hit 100 miles an hour, has an advanced tool belt, advanced approach, and it seems like a pretty big signing for the Pirates. And Nola, I know you wanted to lead this as well uh, with your Bubba notes. So go ahead, man. Well, so a lot of the issue with international scouting is it's a, we don't, I guess, have as much data necessarily as we would with like the stateside kids. And that's like when you talk about like kids from like the DR Venezuela, you know, you're scouting 14, 15, 16 year olds and you don't know what they're going to grow into. Right. You don't know. I mean, O'Neill Cruz added what, five inches after he's joining pro ball and he was, he was already big and he added another like five inches. Yeah. So, but with someone like Shim, I mean, he's effectively last year would have been his draft year. And he turns 19 in April. So this will be his first year. And I'm, I'm assuming he goes to full season ball. Greensboro, maybe. Bradenton, maybe. Maybe touch on that a little further. But, I mean, at 18, he's already 6'4", 215 pounds. Yeah. And as we already mentioned, I mean, I'm not saying he's Shoei Atani, but he's already as big as Shoei Atani. Atani is 6'4", 210. He's a big boy. And he's only 18. And he's only 18. Right. And so, I mean, he could be a lean. I mean, that might be his maxed out. We don't know. But he already has four pitches that are all said to be plus potential. Yeah. John said he actually, they, they updated that he touched 101. 
and they're saying he's a strike thrower. So command control isn't so much an issue. Now, where Bubba comes into this, this is where I was saying, you know, we have a lot more background with like high school kids stateside. He was 6'2", 200. He had four pitches, fastball, curveball, changeup, slider, same four. He was throwing 92, 95, touching 97. And he was more of a, I don't know, I think only like two of them were considered plus potential with, and they said working on command because of his arm, um, athleticism, he had a clean arm action. But um, to me, I think one of the other things too is when they, I think it was Fangrass talked about, they're like, you know, part of the issue with him is there's a much more projection, but I'm like, what more projection do you really need? He's six four, two fifteen, already touching one hundred and one. When we talk about someone like a Chandler, it's like he has room to grow and could touch a hundred. And it's like Shim's already there. Yeah. And then I also in this, I'm going to include Solomedo because you know he was a six five, two twenty left-hander high school kid. Big kid. So what I did? What's that? Big kid. Yeah. yeah, and I, I can't wait to see where his velocity is at the beginning this year. Yeah. But going back, so Fangraphs preseason had Bubba 10th, Solo 15th. Baseball America had Solo 11th, Bubba 13th. Their midseason updates, Fangraphs had Bubba 9th, Solo 13th. Uh, and the BA midseason update had Solo 11th, Bubba 12th. And again, this was going into their age 19 seasons. Yeah. So in the end, to me, I feel with what Shim's physical size and the reports that we've read about him so far, with, it seems like a pretty advanced 18-year-old with four-plus potential pitches. I think at minimum, he's top 15. And arguably, I think you could argue him into the top 10. And we'll see where he's at the end of this season. He's someone that could skyrocket pretty quickly. Yeah. And you mentioned in the group chat that if Shim would start out in Bradenton, it might be kind of hard to gauge because he would just blow guys away. And we saw yeah. Jared Jones do that too. I think. Mm-hmm. So and Jared Jones was someone with pretty poor command and control. Right. And Shim's coming in with, from reports, good control. Mm-hmm. fairly good control um and some of the reports i read on shim were he has two very good pitches right now i think it was what fastball and slider that had a fastball curve there's fastball curve, curve. Fastball curve yeah. fastball curve they're saying and, we're at or near plus already and his changeup mm-hmm. and slider were not if potential he yeah mm-hmm. so at worst we're talking about a guy who could be a cody pitcher and dominate in that role <laughs> um, but he also has a potential to be uh, a more long-term starter. So mm-hmm. I think top 15 is very fair. And you're right. I think 10, top 10 is there, but I think we'd need to see him actually pitch stateside before. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, Murph, did yeah. you have anything to add with Shim? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like – that the hype's going to be, you know, the excitement to, to get him over here and, and and get some actual eyes on him. Like the, the amount of stuff that we've able, been able to see is what, maybe like six or seven pitches 
like maybe yeah. like a curveball here or there or something like that. So we haven't seen much. We're relying on a lot of reports here, but like if if the reports are anywhere near true, then yeah, he like he, he's going to be in the discussion as one of the top pitching prospects, probably right out of the bat. There'll be a lot of adjustments and stuff like that 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 you have to figure. Like I remember um, Po Yu Chen. Remember when he came up to Bradenton in twenty twenty one at the end, he struggled a little bit with the control and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of felt like it was maybe had to do with the you know, automated strike zone and, and stuff like that. So maybe a little bit of an adjustment period going on. But, I mean, he seems if, – if, like I said, if any of the reports are half true, like they, they have a pretty good arm on their hand here. Yeah, and I think it, it would be smart to at least start him out in Bradenton for two oh, or yeah. three starts. And then if he's – I can see them the taking, like, the route that they've gone with – uh, it, it probably seems like because his age and, you know, you can pretty much say that he would have been part of what, like last year's draft class then, then at that yeah. point. Yeah. Um, so like take the route of any other high school kid that they've drafted in the last couple of years. What, like if the season starts in April, maybe mid to late May. Yeah. Kind of to, to get he'll just into Bradenton. when the season starts. Yeah. Yeah, so like I probably we probably won't see him to start the year in, in Bradenton unless they really feel like he's that far ahead of the game pitching overseas. But mm-hmm. I I would think probably like mid to late May, like they've done with most of the other mm-hmm. most of the other high school so kids. I, I could definitely see extended spring training just to start it off and then go from there, get them kind of kind of build up and then because they because like even even at like the pro level overseas it's like usually that they they're only pitching like once a week and stuff like that so mm-hmm. i know in bradington they they still kind of stick with the six-man rotation to kind of ease in but they'll probably want to like ease him in and build him build his arm up and just to get into like their kind of routine that they want to see out of him yeah so. and you know that kind of transitions into our next question dealing with the international side of things and it's coming from dilf magic baby <laughs> dilf magic um and this, despite the goofy name it was actually a really good question and it made me think uh for a couple of days about it you know so um well not couple a day since this was yesterday um five minutes <laughs> and the question was any insights into the pirates approach for international signings it seems like they typically do a spray and pay a spray and pray excuse me approach rather than heavy up on one guy does that work across the league and has the DR facility paid any dividends? Are we the most invested in teams for Asian born players? Now I kind of wanted to touch on the Asian born players aspect of it, where I was listening to a podcast from MLB pipeline and I actually wrote an article on it for PBN. And I think I titled it 12 seconds is enough for me as kind of a funny innuendo and you know, the, all good and fun, but the 12 second snippet on that podcast dealt with the pirates and their investment into Asia and how it's actually been somewhat of a surprise and they've gone extremely heavy. And we've seen the pirates sign guys like Po Yu Chen, Shim, um, Hung Lang Chang and uh, Sung Chi Chang and other guys I think come to mind as well. And I just can't think of their name, but uh you know, I think the Pirates are extremely heavily invested in the Asian market. And I think they're also invested in kind of the markets where you wouldn't think. I mean, you saw the Pirates sign a kid from Uganda uh, recently. So 
I think they're trying to go outside of the box and try to find these countries where maybe teams aren't heavily invested in and try to find that diamond in the rough, Um, which is a a cool approach. I don't know if it's so smart as of now, but maybe it pays off. I saw, I think it was justice uh, for MLB.com posted a video on Twitter of uh, the kid from Uganda throwing pitches and he didn't look half bad. He looked very raw. Obviously I think he's 17, maybe 18. So it it's interesting to see the pirates approach and i'm really excited to see how far they actually get into the asian market and these other little small markets um but i'll you know toss the rest of that question to you guys and then we can uh kind of decipher uh, each section especially the dr facility um murph i'll let you lead with uh those things and me and since i have nola lead the other two uh and we'll continue so like the part of the question there that kind of sticks out to me is like the, the spray and pray thing kind of with signing players, I think to an extent, and you kind of saw it like league wise, like there, there is a lot of teams to ha- sign like upwards to 20 to 30 people and stuff like that. So a lot of this is, yeah, when you're signing people at, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, and like you, you, you mentioned it earlier um, on, on the last segment about like kind of don't know what they're going to turn into. Right. Like we, we don't know. So the best, the best approach to that is, you know, just get as many of these guys in, into the system and then let your development team kind of work and, and hope that, you know, a couple of them stick. And I know it was uh, John on P2, he wrote like that really long series at like mapping out like what the percentages are of the hitters and pitchers and stuff like that, that actually graduate, make the majors and stuff like that. And it, it usually is like a toss in the pan of one of them actually panning out. I mean, we, we've seen, we're starting to see more of it now within the last couple of years, you know, Castro, uh, Luis Ortiz is the, the guy the biggest one I'm through there. Um, when we talk about the Asian market, Bay, he's up now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're starting to see it. I don't think you, you it's never going to be the international market's never going to be a thing to where I would imagine that we're going to have 10 to 15 homegrown players and, and, and stuff like that. It's, it's more of a, let's hope we can get a couple out of these things. And, and if we can get two or three on the roster or two or three kind of moving through the system, that's great. That's probably going to, yeah, that's probably going to be a plus a win for, for and worth the kind of investments that they are making down there. Yeah. And I think I saw, I think it was the Astros that, had the most success i think i read something about the astros having the most it was like that pipeline article that we were that they're like yeah so they had like two of their starters and then two of like their stars this year in the world series were uh signings weren't they i'm pretty sure they were Um, they they have a lot of guys that i think came through i don't know how many of them like came up through the the their or like ever signed through their system because what is it jordan alvarez he he was another one of those we, we kind of robbed the Dodgers for, for a guy, right? Yeah. Although, yeah, and it's so. funny because he actually never took a plate appearance for the Dodgers. He was traded before he ever played. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably, probably should have held off on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and the, the, the DR facility was kind of interesting, the uh, aspect. Is it paying off? And, you know, we've – I don't know about you guys, but I've heard a lot that the Pirates are investing heavily in the Dominican facilities and – um, you know, the coaching and uh, I think Nola mentions a lot, the backfield play. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think it was John, and I brought this up several times, uh, John Draker of P2, uh, discussing the Dominican pitching coaches and how they've become, you know, a very good asset for the Pirates and teaching these guys yeah. uh, proper throwing techniques. And we've seen velo jumps. Um, I, I don't remember the prospect I was talking about. might have been Joaquin Tejada or something where he had a huge velo jump than what John expected. And John actually messaged me about him or maybe it was someone else, but, and then he delved more into it and he got into the Dominican pitching coaches. So I, I wouldn't say that it's paying off because like we said, it's a crap shoot, but it definitely doesn't look bad. Um, it looks like it's promising, which I guess is the best you can get out of this promising. Yeah. And I think I think over the next couple of years, we'll really start seeing it more because when you think about it, too, um, like if, if we're going just going like under Charrington uh, and stuff like that, if we're if he's signing these kids at 16, 17, it's going to be a couple of years before we even start seeing them in full season ball. And, and so, like, we're like we're now just now probably at the point to where you would think theoretically if if. Charrington signed someone at 16 it, when he first took over that you're probably just now going to start seeing them carry over into like either in the United States or in full season baseball, Bradenton and stuff like that. So I think over the next couple of years, and there are a couple guys that came through that s- system that I, I would say that I'm pretty high on. That- Was Polanco a uh, Charrington signing, Shaylin? Yeah. That's yeah what I so thought. Polanco would be one. Um, when I, so I'm trying to think was because what, what I was going to say is I, I feel like they previously did more of the spray and pray and mm-hmm. in recent years they've started to kind of uptick going for higher bonus kids yeah, yeah. Um, it's like each of the last couple of years they've really yeah yeah I mean and then yeah I mean they can too I, I don't know if it's the type the way to take technically say it and you know they pretty much i guess stole tony blanco jr from the rays when they had uh your donnie de los santos already signed i mean they've been handing out bigger money but what i was going to say would be christopher cruz i know he was a ninth 2019 international signing but did he come before huntington was let go or after i can't remember but i know because he was like 900k he was the same year as Po Yu Chen, and reports were not reports and box scores were not pretty last year at all for him. So he'll be interesting case to see if he's back in FCL. If maybe they worked with him and got him to a point where you know they feel comfortable putting him in Bradenton, but I, I do think that they are stepping it up. And their facilities probably do help that a lot. You know, getting kids in at young ages, creating relationships with them, training them to the point that, you know, they are considered high-end athletes. To answer your Cruz question, he was signed July 2nd of 19. So he would have been just before Huntington got let go. Yeah. Yeah. And Chen was October, I think. Mm. Pretty sure. I was say, but at least in terms of the the Asian market, some of the numbers I found. Because I mean, it. 
I went on based off of Baseball America, and it seems like the data's kind of spread throughout. Um, but I mean, obviously, we got Shim this year for seven fifty k. Um, Steel. I found, yeah, I found three other kids on Baseball America. There was Hiroshi Takahashi, a sixteen-year-old. Like, get this, he's born in Japan, raised in Venezuela, signed in the Dominican Republic. The Marlins been around for forty-two thousand. Yeah, <laughs> Phillies. Phillies signed a twenty-year-old Taiwan kid for four hundred k. Giants signed a Taiwan kid for six fifty. For uh, the 22-23 period, there was the Pirates signed Chang out of Taiwan. The Cardinals signed some Wong, Won Bin Cho, some seventeen-year-old outfielder from South Korea. He's actually a pretty big kid, and they were calling him a potential five-tool kid. The 21-22, there was nothing. 2021, there's Chen and one other kid out of Taiwan, shortstop for the D-backs. Yeah. <laughs> 19-20 was Chang and this other kid, uh, Kaido Yuki. The Royals signed out of Japan, right-handed pitchers. So it seems like there's some here and there. Uh, from the Asian countries, but it does seem like the Pirates are the ones that are more consistent in yeah. trying to find players from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that we discussed, I kind of want to transition into this now. Um, I think it was Ethan Fisher brought up the question, uh, and, you know, this deals with Ortiz. He said, rank Priester, Burroughs, Ortiz by how many starts they will make for the 2023 Pirates. And I think it's a pretty simple list when I think about it. I think Ortiz, Burroughs, Priester, that's my rankings. I think Judson brought it up on Twitter, just reverse it. And I I don't – maybe we see Priester in 23 towards the end of the season, kind of like get the Rowanzi treatment that he got uh, towards the end of the season. I think it was in, what, 21? So, I don't know. Priester kind of scares me with his injury – proneness um that we've seen i i don't know um but that's my list as as of right now ortiz burroughs priester um is that how you're feeling murph because I, I feel like that's a pretty obvious choice but maybe you might stray from the path and be spicy like i can see a scenario where I'm, I'm with the way that the rotation is setting up and the depth to it. I don't think there's a doubt that Ortiz more than like injury injuries aside. I don't think it's kind of set up to where I believe, I think Ortiz is the the next guy that gets called up at this point. Yeah. So I, I, I would, it'd probably be the easy thing to say that um, Ortiz would be next. I, I guess just for the fact that, that Burroughs is also on the 40 man too, that probably makes it the easy answer. But yeah. part of me, part of me feels like, like deep down, like yeah, there's no rush in getting Quinn to the majors because, like, you don't technically have to till the off season. So, like, if if if, if you need to keep him in AAA all year to kind of work on things, I mean, there's no pressure to do it. But also, I do like it's very obvious from the way he's talking. I've seen like with interviews and just knowing how he is. It wouldn't surprise me if, if, if Quinn just comes out there and he's just lights out and he's just 
all sorts of driven and he he has his goal in mind and he's not going to let anything stop him to where like may, maybe he leapfrogs and gets into the picture before Burroughs and you talk about injury history as well like you yeah, know, Burroughs, yeah Mike Burroughs has been hurt and he's missed a couple months each of the last couple of seasons too yeah. so do we I see someone before Burroughs and Priester be, though I was thinking that route too. I think I think there's a slight chance. I think if I was going to bet on it, I would go Ortiz, Burroughs, Priester, just yeah. just for the sake of the fact that that's the question. Know, Forty man, yeah. You have to add add, add Priester. That inside that tells me that watching and knowing what I know about Quinn Priester. I mean, I'm, this isn't to say like Mike Burroughs isn't a driven dude too, because he—I know for a fact he is too. Those two are going to compete, and even if Mike is the de facto next call up, they're going to be—they're going to be in all sorts of competition onto who deserves it next, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if like Quinn gets more starts at the end of it, to be honest. Okay, that's that's kind of spicy. I, I like it because Quinn Quinn does have that tunnel vision. He, mm -hmm. he, when he gets, you know, he he sees the light at the end of the tunnel now, and he's just going to go barreling straight for it. Yeah, and it's going to be hard to hold him back at at some point. I feel like yeah, it's just a matter of when. Yeah, and you know, with the sinker that he's brought in that he likes more than the four seam, Pirates love sinker boys. You know, it's. Yep. Yeah, it, it's a possibility. Nola, are love, you on love those sinkers and two seamers? Yeah. Um, I guess, which it'll be interesting because this will kind of lead into uh, our P2 discussion tomorrow. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think Ortiz will, let's say, barring anything like health issues right. pop up or anything like that, um, I do believe Ortiz is easily the number one just because he's already been up he'll he'll probably be one of the first to call to you know unless they decide to go to Ch tyler chatwood first for a start i forgot all about um, Chatwood. yeah i know i keep forgetting about <laughs> he's, he's 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 the vet guy on the minor league side probably but um he, he's this year's jared eikhoff but from there um i it's going to come a lot down to where Priester's stuff stands going into next year. Because then, again, leading into something, you know, that's going to be discussed a little bit in tomorrow's P2 discussion, or I guess today's, when this will air too, uh, talking about, you know, like, ready for big league stuff. And I feel like Burroughs has the more MLB-ready arsenal with his fastball and uh, curveball, where I think Priesters gonna, might still be tweaking as he's been more of like a pitch-to-contact type pitcher. And this offseason, with working with his sinker, seeing where that has gotten to. But as Murph was mentioning, you know, he is definitely one of those, you know, tunnel vision he's going to work, 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 work. Yeah. And, I, and I know that was one of the big uh, stories on Priester when he was drafted was just, you know, he 
And it's, you can actually say the same thing about Burroughs, that they were both like high, loved watching like YouTube videos, mechanical, and just kind of like side sessioning their own mechanics, you know, yeah. just like self, self-development. So it's going to be interesting, but <laughs> I think I'm still going to go Ortiz, Burroughs, Priester. Yeah. Or we can all agree Ortiz is the consensus number one. Out of that, yeah. I, I will say I will say that also if you want to get super spicy, I can see I can see a scenario I can see a scenario where Bur- Burroughs makes more starts next year than Ortiz. Just on the fact is that we know Ooh. how there's certain situations in which Ortiz struggles, and if that mm-hmm. changeup doesn't come, and that fast uh, the fastball like Tim even brought it up too, he. The fastball is hittable at times, regardless of the velocity, too. Yeah. And he struggles against lefties. So there is a scenario where he walks into to camp, that changeup really didn't develop. And next thing you know, they need a sixth guy, and it's Mike Burroughs and not Luis Ortiz. Hey, hey Spencer Strider didn't need no damn changeup. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's true. Ortiz. I will say on like on the Burroughs and Priester thing, the fact that they're finally going to be pitching in the same rotation because everything I've heard like they're with just how super competitive both of them are, to how much they're going to push each other, that I think Mm -hmm. like the payoff long term with that is going to be awesome. So they just missed each other last year. Like Quinn got up to to Altoona like right when Burroughs got pushed to to Indy. So they just missed out on that. And I think one of them made a comment about that too, somewhere to where like they were looking forward to pitching together on the same team again. So the fact that they're going to be in Indy together, I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, Ortiz is a Cody pitcher. Absolutely. He's a Cody pitcher. Yes. He is. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. Like like Nola said, Spencer Strider didn't need a changeup. We'll also see how that pays off long term as well. That's what I'm saying. Long term, he's a Cody. Fan. So I mean, Tyler, if it Tyler, works, Tyler Glass now would like a conversation with you. Tyler Glass now would like a conversation with all of Pittsburgh media because he just shit on everybody in Pittsburgh. Fair yeah. and fair yeah. enough, though. I mean, yeah, yeah, fair. It's kind of deserved. Yeah. Um, now let's let's transition to this question from Tyler Hernley, and we discussed this. It's got probably going to be a very short answer. Uh, well, first he asks about Lonnie White's development. I haven't heard anything from Lonnie White. I kind of forgot he existed for a minute. Um, I'm, I know Murph. Uh, that's your I'm gonna need. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to have a word with you when this is over. I'm just saying his de- like we're, he, we're disappeared. Right he disappeared. He's been hurt. <laughs> for how long how long is this dude hurt he was as out long as Brian Malone was... right and I feel so bad <laughs> I feel so bad but like there's no development on Lonnie White Tyler Hernley I'm sorry to disappoint you but the, the main part of his question was deals with Andy Rodriguez and he asked how bad of a spring would Andy need to have to not make the opening day roster we all know they want to super to him, but I don't see how they can consider how he's played at every level. And Tyler, I hate to disappoint you, man, but as Murph said uh, pre-record, Andy could hit a thousand and have every hit be a home run, and he'd still start in AAA. 
that that's just how it's gonna be. He it's, could be this year's version of Kevin Newman, and he ain't he ain't coming north. No, no, he's not gonna hit. He could hit seven fifty. What what Kevin hit like seven fifty? I think it was. Something stupid. It was yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and and he's gonna start in AAA, and uh, Derek Shelton has said it. I think Ben Charrington has said it. They're not going to start the major league level, barring injury. If injury happens, maybe we see. I hope, and we'll, that's we'll, probably we'll see, even. We'll see a waiver wire pickup that of a guy who's bounced around for 15 years or something like that, and he will be the backup at that point. JV can go. Austin Hedges and Tyler Henneman can both go down with injuries, yeah. and, we, and they would call up Carter Benz. It will be Carter Ben. We will have a Carter Benz and Jason Delay starting uh, catcher. Back they will re. They will reacquire the Josh Van Meter first to play catcher before Andy gets called up. And it, it's not to make fun of your question, Tyler, at all. I, I get. I get the. It's. It's. it's we're, we're using this to hide the pain of the fact yeah, that it's. It's. It's not going to happen. Like as much as we want it to happen. Yeah, the way it, the way it is, just because of you know the system, the Pirates organization, all that is that Andy is far too valuable to the long term success and of this team that there there probably still is some at least minor developmental things he can work on, even though people think he could probably be. Uh, 10 war gold glove catcher right now. Steamer thinks he could be a five war guy over 162 games. Yeah. So uh, there's probably is still some minor developmental things he could work on, but also, I mean, there's obviously the whole control issue. Yeah. Where without, without his... go, going too far in, down that rabbit hole on there, because that's, that's one, a touchy subject, the whole service time thing. And two, it's just frustrating beyond belief with it. I do believe that at some point they will look into maybe doing that, but that's more, that would have to more align with, you know, having someone that they think can really help the team right away. Mm -hmm. And they're in more of a position to win that season where they can afford to lose. If he doesn't, if he doesn't win rookie of the year or doesn't qualify anything to get them picks, and they still lose the the year of control. It's not going to hurt them because they are playing to win at that point. Now, Nola, I know that's just not something that we're looking at in twenty. So, like, mm-hmm. let's say it may Andy may not be that the guy that breaks that barrier, but Mar Johnson might be that guy a couple yeah. of years down the road. It, they might be in such a great position that they think, okay, well, Tamar can really help us jump out the gate, so and they could so the roster is filled out enough that, you know, they could carry a struggling second baseman that's getting acclimated to the majors. And we've seen Nick Gonzalez bounce all over the infield over the last year. Mm -hmm. Well, I know you and Ethan wrote an article on P2 about it. Now, would Andy qualify for that extra draft pick? Uh, I mean, I think we can all but but assume that he's going to be on pipeline and ESPN's top 100 so he would yes but that but to further that uh with BA's out already and how much hype he's been getting I have to believe that Luis Ortiz will be as well on either of those two one or the other or both 
And technically, he would qualify for, for a PPI pick then. So if he was were it, to – has to be two either, of the three, right? Yeah, it has to be two of the three okay, at least. Bad. And less than uh, – it wasn't 45. It was 50, 60 days, I think. Less than 60 days of service time and be on two of those lists. And you have to be up either – opening day or within like the first I think like week or two weeks so technically Luis Ortiz could qualify if they call him up soon enough yeah that's interesting and and you brought up the fact that you basically have to have a Julio Rodriguez and some luck in order for this to work out so yeah. do you find this rule kind of stupid in terms of them trying to prevent service time manipulation yeah after after Ethan and I did all the research and wrote that article, um, it doesn't really feel like much of an incentive. Yeah. Like unless you unless you have a just ridiculous Julio Rodriguez, because I mean, Adley Rutschman got injured. So and then by the time he was healthy again, it's like, well, we're not gonna hold him off until 2023, just so yeah, we could be like, ah, well, maybe we'll win a pick now. It's like we're just gonna call him up and let him play, even though he's not gonna be eligible for a PPI pick in the next three years now yeah yeah okay plus he would have had to beat out julio rodriguez yeah i there's still so much randomness to, into going like it's it's almost never the guy you expect to win like for, mm-hmm. i mean who, who who would have thought michael harris would like like he was playing he was when, playing in what high light high last year brendan donovan was second or third third yeah who the, who the heck was Brendan Donovan? Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, it's so Drafted, much of a crap shoot it, on seventh it. Seventh round out yeah. of South Alabama? Yeah. Thank you. Who? Travis Lagerty. It doesn't make sense. To, <laughs> it doesn't make sense to, to do it. I, I think they'll do it eventually, but, yeah. Well, to, to piss someone off who's listening right now, oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, this is for you, Yark. <laughs> Your last question and our last question uh, of the pod. And this deals with uh, Murph's boy, Carmen Majinski. Um, the question was, why is Carmen Majinski going to take huge strides as a starting pitcher in 23? Um, and the second part deals with Owen Kellington, and I'll dive into a little bit of that. But, Murph, I know it kind of leads into your uh, – your P2 stuff. So let, let's discuss Carmen Majenski a little bit here. So I will tell you why Carmen Majenski will break out this season Tuesday <laughs> when the article <laughs> drops. <laughs> oh, cliffhanger. Murphy, that's what the cliffhanger. But, but um, his stuff, like it, going back and watching his video, it, it just looks like someone who's just trying to find himself like someone mm-hmm. who like how best he's going to go about doing it talking about what kind of role he's going to be in how he best to attack hitters um towards the end of the year and it's it's like a confusing t- thing too because like we'll see an article come out about how he wants to scrap like the two seam and just throw the four seam and then like the two best starts i've seen him throw this year he was attacking hitters with a two seam up high in his zone. So 
like that's that's why it's like you know is he just trying to find himself the best way to do it he wants to explore all avenues which i'm 100 percent for like if, if you feel if you want to try this out in double a to see if it works give it a shot that's cool if it doesn't work you know something else is going to work well, because he was throwing, what, the high 90s two-seam and the Cape Cod when they drafted him. Then he scrapped it uh-huh. for the four-seam. Then he brought it back, and then he scrapped it again. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of been the, – the, some of the worst starts I've seen him make, he didn't throw a single two-seamer the, that entire game. He starts incorporating the two-seam a little bit more. I His last start of the season, he had like eight or nine ground ball outs that were just so weakly hit that like he they tied the hitter up and it I would love to see the exit velocity on them because there wasn't much exit velocity coming off the bat with it and and the slider played so much better off of the two seam his his change up I don't know if it's a splitter but it looks like a splitter the the way it just like dives and he started being able to throw that against righties as well and it just kind of changed everything as well if, if he – two of the last three starts, he took that kind of approach. If he takes that into next year, I would probably say that's that's why that's that's why he breaks out because he so, finally figured out how. So two things here. One, are you saying the two-seamer is magic? Does the two-seamer yes. fix pitchers? I get, apparently so. You're going to fuck – you're going to pull singer. off – you're going to pull off your face and you're going to be uh, Ray Searage. Is Ray Searage up there? <laughs> What's going on? No, he, no, he's under he's under that that uh, Oscar Marine mask already. <laughs> Murphy is in fact not a bear; he is Ray Searage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know the second part, and there there was a bit of a heated not heated, but there was a bit of a discussion of is Majinski a starting pitcher or is he? And that, that's what I think too, Nola. I don't think he's a starting pitcher at all. I don't. Um, th- I don't think probably. he's going to go. I don't think he's going to. Be go to pee pee into games, um, <laughs> and and part of that I too think is that I think he didn't show enough progress to the point. I mean, he could be someone to get held back maybe into double A, but it's getting pretty congested to where I mean, it's hard to say he's going to get a spot in Indy. So yeah. The roster's filled up pretty quickly. If if you have any kind of, it wouldn't surprise me at all if for the fact of one, keeping some depth when it comes to your prospects, who's starting and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Majinski and Kyle Nicholas both start backing out soon. Mm-hmm. That's that, almost gonna... the only way that you're gonna get them innings at this point. And mm-hmm. then the people like like the people coming up from Greensboro. It, it I mean, probably they, would be easier because there's not going to be that many probably right. that that comes up demanding a rotation spot. Double A is triple A, remember? Yeah, yeah. Is Majinski going to get the Tanaj Thomas treatment? Move to the back end of the bullpen, like towards... I think he's going to get more of the JC Flowers treatment. I could see. I, I would see more of a JC Flowers thing than than a uh, Tanaj Thomas. Two, three, Although, maybe. I will maybe say four like if he's dealing. Based off of what, based off of what Tanaj told Tim, and and then I wrote an article about it. Tanaj kind of has it in the back of his mind of a potential to where he may throw multiple innings again, 
next year, even into starting. Could this this year? I probably don't like it. Probably not. But the bullpen move was part part of the thing to kind of align everything. Mm. Now that things are aligned, we'll see. Not a fan. Not a fan. We'll see. You don't like anyone starting. <laughs> no, I like people starting. I just you don't, don't no, like. You don't like anyone starting. I just don't like. You want to start in the fifth inning. Don't extend it. Fifth inning. Cody said Shim's already a reliever. At worst, you're already talking about Shim as a reliever. Who's a starter? Nobody is a starter. <laughs> Who's a starter? Josh Van Meter. Josh Van Meter is a hell of a starter. You should have seen his uh, his pitching tools against Yadier Molina. It was great. His his saw it firsthand. Saw it firsthand. <laughs> It was amazing. 45 miles an hour down the pipe. No one's hitting that shit. <laughs> um, and that, that goes into the last part of the question, Owen Kellington. And Yark, to be honest with you, I don't know what the hell to expect out of Kellington. Um, I'm going to talk to Owen in, I'd say, about a week or so. Uh, on Saturday, I'm supposed to message him, and we're going to set up a date for an interview. So I may be able to give you more information now. What you laughing at there, Nola? Interview or meeting? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure on the, uh, the phraseology that I should use. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm going to have to check the dictionary uh, to make sure I'm not crossing any lines or, you know, offending anybody here. But um, it's an interview slash meeting uh, with Kelly. Mark's checking his notes. <laughs> this is a blank piece of paper uh, look at that it's half past a freckle i gotta go look at the time um but yeah i i don't have a whole lot on kellington i i would expect better than what was it a 10.10 era and very short amount of time that he pitched in the fcl he pitched like eight innings right yeah if that if that yeah he was that's played probably, from the 70 still more than uh ryan harbin threw in his first what two years and not wrong. Not hard. Not wrong with that. It's not very hard. Him and Brennan Malone right now are fighting for uh, most time. Uh, for that ice bath. <laughs> yeah. They're fighting he had 10 for innings. Exactly 10 innings last year. Exactly Double 10. Digits. Exactly 10 innings. He struck out 15. But he also walked nine. I mean, he's high school kid, so I mean, you know, completely random. But you, you know, who I really want to see where they start out next year? Alessandro Ercolani. That's what I want to see. The Italian Wonder Boy. Mm-hmm. Wait, Wilbur has said some nice things about him. You were hyped about Ercolani a couple of years ago. I remember he was like, what was he seventeen or eighteen? He was in the FCL already or something. Yeah, he, yeah, he was like 16, 17, already pitching in the FCL. Yeah. Or, yeah. Granted, it's probably probably because you know he's from Italy and they weren't gonna send him to the Spanish speaking country, so might have had something to do with it. But I mean, pitched pretty well, and he's got some size to him. And Wilbur said he looks like he could really add some more ticks to his fastball. So never seen him pitch. I've seen maybe one video when he pitched for Team Italy. I think it was one. It's on the it's on the YouTube page. Yeah. Well, or. I mean, I'd have to really go back um, or just ask him because uh, there was a point during one of the, like, game threads 
what they do for like the minor league side. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Wil- Wilbur was at the game sending, posting clips of the pitchers. Okay. Okay. Wilbur, the only guy. <laughs> I would love to get down there to get some of the FCO games and get some video on that. Cause that, I feel mm-hmm. like that would be huge. You know, Wilbur's climbing nothing. the fences. He's climbing the fences <laughs> with his phone. Give me the audio. Give me the video. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Yark, um, on Kellington, I have no idea, dude. I, I expect him better than what he was last year in those 10 innings. But other than that, I have nothing until I've had the meeting or interview. Um, still haven't gotten word on. I'm, I'm waiting for my source to get back to me on the meeting interview word. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, guys, it, it was uh, it was pretty fun answering all your questions. I'm kind of sad you didn't give us any AMAs. Uh, we, we need to figure out if Murph was really a bear or not. Um, I mean, you didn't even ask me about my shower routine. Like, come on, man. I, I want to. I, I, I will never know if Murph is, in fact, a bear or Ray Searage. Or Oscar Marine as Ray Searage. We'll, we'll never know. We've never seen all three of these men in the same room. That's your story. That's you, you true story. Definitely can say that. <laughs> but um, do we have any other uh, little tidbits, uh, Murph? You got any rants to get off your chest before we uh, give out the socials and end the podcast, buddy? I did. I did. Okay. But then my ADHD B brain, I forgot it. Uh oh, gone. Uh oh. So there we go. Uh oh, York. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Um, I have nothing. Okay. Stay in school. Stay, well, yeah, always have there to you go. Uh, Nola, any uh, words of wisdom? Nola knowledge? Um, I guess nothing more than mentioning my superiority to Murph of hitting 200 followers before uh, <laughs> Murph got 200 Listen. subscribers on YouTube. Listen, I'm at 192. You had like a five, and okay. I had to get I had to get like thirty something, and I still came that for close. A, still tied up. As, as one guy said, my my Twitter account that has been around since I don't know was it 2014. Although I didn't really use it until I don't know 19 or 20. <laughs> and even then, nobody. Even then, I was just yelling about things like about how much I don't like Casey DeSmith. <laughs> <laughs> fucking happy feet in the net that's all you said about casey man that's all you talk about with me with casey oh man i just watched some of the goals he's given up and i'm like oh come on man <laughs> all right guys well before we continue to ramble on for another four hours we're going to get out our socials and uh end the podcast so as always you can give me a follow on twitter at 2hg013 uh, you can follow my work on Pittsburgh Baseball Now. Um, recently wrote an article about Dari Moretta. Um, kind of forgot about him. Uh, he was a part of the Kevin Newman trade. I think everyone forgot about him. Um, maybe the Pirates can fix his sinker, or maybe they can get rid of it and make him use the four seam. I don't know. But you could read the article on Pittsburgh Baseball Now. Uh, Murph, give out your social. Any other projects you got going? You follow me on Twitter? at double underscore Murphy 88. I'm working on, like I said, mentioning the Carmen Majinski breakdown should be out on Tuesday. 
Um, you can catch daily stuff for me on on P2. My P2 daily drops every, usually at midnight, sometimes a little bit later. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Is that, I lost to Nola the race to 200, but we can still get to 200. We're, we're, at, we're like at 90,000 views as well. Everyone so, in the chat, uh, make Murph's punishment for not beating Nola. We need a Murph punishment for the next podcast. In the comments, give us what Murph has to do on the next podcast as his punishment. Right now. Freak. Think about it. No, you can't talk, Murph. You can't talk. He has to do the, he has to do the pre-pod videos so people find out if he's a bear or not. <laughs> Nola. Give out your social, man. Any other projects you got going on over there at P2? Uh, at Nola Jeffy, N-O-L-A-J-E-F-F-Y. Um, I guess all we got going on is we got a new format for the discussion that'll be breaking to- today. Um, with Murph involved, it's a, it's a pretty good one, I think. A lot of context. A lot of context. It's probably going to be we'll, – we'll see how it gets edited, but – it's gonna be a lengthy one with a lot of information and a uh, secret commenter stepping in to join us. So, if I'm there excited. ain't three thousand words in the article, I don't want. It. I mean, there, there's definitely probably that much in the. Uh, I, think Nola, I think Nola talks that much. <laughs> I think Nola's close to three thousand right. words on his own in this. Yeah, I got a lot to say, man. I need to get one of those word counters for the podcast just to see how many words Nola has said throughout this entire session. I need to know. Probably, I'm going to go with about 92% of the words. 92% of the word? (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. I'll take your word for that, man. And there's probably Um, about at least like six words in there of my son yelling Masha and also at me. I I heard him in the background a little bit. He, he, He interjected. He, yeah, was he, he, came, he was a fan he of He came shim. running in the door. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, guys, as always, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Um, it was really cool to see the the ratings uh, and the the review that was left on Apple Podcast. It was it was pretty cool to see, you know, as someone who didn't think that he could do this for a living, or um, any of you two think you could do it for a living. It's it's kind of cool to see that our work is kind of touching lives in a certain way. I don't want to say we're <laughs> changing the world in any sense of the imagination, but it's pretty humbling to see. And, you know, we appreciate it. And think about that Murph punishment before we end the show. Okay. Just think about it. We need one, but as always guys, we love you. And can we get this right now that Noel's back Murph? Let's go. Go Bucks. You go Bucks. Always.